0: It's Azura. And I'm Jermaine And welcome back to another episode of Cleveries
1: Hash Podcast. So today we are going to have a very intimate discussion and we've got a special guest with us. Please welcome Miss Carrie Tan. Woohoo! You might know her as MP of Nisun GRC but Carrie, you do so much more than that. Tell us more.
2: Well, it's been a pretty whirlwind past 10 years. I founded a women's charity called Daughters of Tomorrow and... uh, 2020 i became an mp and as of last year i started transformative transformative coaching um, to help people um, with their lives what's transformative coaching it's like you have a deep cleanse in your emotions Mm. and in your you know spirit and soul inside out like you Mm. really get the stuff Mm. out that hasn't been looked at, hasn't been attended to, hasn't been processed. So you can understand it and you can understand yourself and you can choose um, what you would like to believe in that can take you forward into your life with none of the baggage that you weren't conscious that you had. Right.
0: Wow. So if people
2: want to detox their
0: body, they drink juice. Mm. <laughs> or if you want to detox your mind, detox your mind and so on, you go to carry. Yes, right.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like how i would explain it it's like a mind body not body well mm. mind and soul detox right. i know a few right. people here who could benefit from that well unpack <laughs> like that who are? Uh. actually every every human being can benefit from that yeah. Like.
1: yeah so you know this episode is coming out very near to father's day and we also just celebrated mother's day last month right and i think when we were growing up we all had different relationships with our parents mm. but because of those relationships it really you know builds character and it. It shows you who you are today. For sure. The good, the bad, the ugly. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we've got Carrie here to help us along because she's, you know, she's got a lot of experience unpacking that part of her life as well. And I think, you know, when it comes to especially being in an Asian household, like we Mm. all have some sort of things to say about our parents. Please, mom and dad, don't listen to this episode. (laughs) <laughs> or listen to this episode, you know, you you may actually
0: benefit from it. Mm. And I'm sure Kerry has had uh, many, what do you call, y- your clients? Do you call them clients? Clients, students, oh. coaches. Right, mm. coaches, coaches coming to you with like issues they have had from their families or their relationships. And we can't wait to hear more about them. But first of all, how is your relationship like with your parents? Mm. If I may ask mm. the floor very, very honestly.
2: Well, it was very tumultus when I was younger and it really only got much better when I hit my 31st year on earth. (laughs) You mean
0: relationships can get better after
2: so long being together with them? Yeah, I think um, there are some things that happen to us in life that causes us to reflect on things, right? And I guess one of the big part of my daddy issue uh, had to do with feeling like, you know, because my dad's like very patriarchal, conservative, Teochew man. Um, I was told from a, you know, since young, like, oh, girls shouldn't do this, girls shouldn't do that. Right. Mm. And somehow, um, the conversations happened at home that made me have this impression and believe in my mind that my dad, because he's Teochew, valued his face, not losing face, mm. more than me. And that was this unconscious thing that I was fighting um, and grappling with you know for a large part of my life until um, when I was 30 I, I got married I think this is actually public <laughs> Information. I, yeah i got I got I got married and uh, marriage didn't work out and I think it was through that quite um, difficult incident and episode in my life that I got to see that for real and felt for real that my dad loved me more than oh. anything mm. Wow, so yeah. circumstances in life can actually give you new perspective. Exactly, and sometimes it's the pretty shitty, painful things that happen, yeah. um, that is trying to tell us something. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. right. But so, I
3: would imagine that it wouldn't have healed overnight as well. It required a lot of work for maybe your end and your parents' end as well to sort of mend that.
2: That's really interesting, mm-hmm. Azura. Um, I realized that when we heal, or when I healed. and and continue to heal as a person, Mm. then the people around me also evolve. Because when we operate in this world, people respond to us and they are a reflection and mirror of what we have inside us. Mm. So when we come into this, any interaction with people, feeling balanced and, and healed and whole and compassionate, then there's no negativity to bounce off and bounce back at us. So well it's it's a journey but it starts with us taking ownership of our own healing.
1: You were telling us pre you know, pre recording that when you were young you ran away from
2: home. It wasn't that young or so. Like, I oh. I yeah, it's quite embarrassing, but I ran away from home in my twenties. <laughs> oh, okay. When I had the financial means too and right. I, I was working to be able to feed myself and find myself a place to stay. But I think the difficult teenage years had a very protracted runway until I felt like, hey, okay, now I'm making my own money. I can probably survive on my own. (laughs) So rational. eh.
0: Most people run away from home with like no idea. No plans. Yeah, no plans
2: after that. Did you go back home after that? Well, actually, I've stayed uh, out. I mean, like I've stayed on my own. Since Since running away from home. Since then. I mean, I still go back mm. to my parents and I stay with them once in a while, but it's like staycation kind of thing, you know. So what were you (laughs) trying to escape when you left? On hindsight, I realised that I was really trying to find my own space to be my own person, but I really wanted to. It was a combination of, hey, can I be out there in this world on my own? It was like I wanted to challenge myself. Um, And I think maybe feeling like someone is telling me how I should live my life. Mm. Well, I don't think my parents meant it that way. (laughs) Mm, For sure. (laughs) I'm sure sure they have the best intentions at heart. Mm. It's
1: just that the way they grew up and also, you know, what they have learned growing up, Mm. sometimes they can project that on us.
0: Right, and I feel like this is the case, especially so for Jeremy and myself as well. Mm. Our parents are very, very traditional, conservative Asian parents. (laughs) 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 Right, but so that's for Jermaine and myself. Mm. Um, How would you say your relationship is like with your parents, Jeremy?
1: I think it's been through a lot of ups and downs. I've had to really understand you know, why they are like that. or Because when I, I was growing up, it, it's not that I didn't receive love, mm. it's that I think they don't know how to be emotionally mm. available. They don't know how to communicate about those things. Mm. But never once did they show me they don't love me. Like, I'll, I'll give you an instance, you know, something that manifests in my life now, I realized from my childhood. So when I used to be really upset, I didn't know how to regulate my emotions. I would throw tantrums and my parents would just lock me in my room for hours on end and just let me try to figure that out by myself. But I was young, like, I had no idea what, you know, what was going on. So now, when I argue with my partner, I escape. I lock myself and like, I don't let anyone in. And he finds that very frustrating because he likes to communicate about things.
2: But that stemmed from how you know, I was treated when I was young, mm. pretty much. I think that's really awesome that you arrived at having awareness of that. And yeah. you know, it's really interesting because from my interactions and sessions and understanding the stories of my clients, what we sometimes uh, discover is that love comes and expresses itself in so many different ways and forms. And sometimes in families, it's not that there was any, you know, very overt abuse or anything, but love could be experienced when we are in our childhood as punishment or as people shouting at each other. And unconsciously, that's how we understand love. Mm. And in our adult years, we enter into our relationships, bringing that way mm. of loving others into our lives. Oh, so that's why I
1: shout at my partner. Because <laughs> I was from a shouting household. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Very noisy every day. Oh. Screaming and shouting.
3: Oh. Okay. Actually, that's funny because I'm slightly the opposite, oh. of which I was screamed at a lot and hence, I don't scream
0: and I cannot have people screaming at me. That's why I think it goes both ways. Mm. Either you really take after them, or yeah. you are like Azura, the complete opposite. Yeah. yeah Tell like us more. It, you, you were from a screaming household? Um, not really. My mother was just very noisy.
3: <laughs> but I think maybe if you, you've been following, and especially like Hazel and Jermaine, they would know as well that I came from a single-parent household where my dad disappeared thin air at six when I was six. Mm. And I never really got an answer for it because nobody actually sat me down to tell me what was going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I sort of have to figure everything out myself. My relationship with my mother is very... volatile, I would say. Because for a long time at such an age when you don't really understand what was going on and things like that, it felt like she was all I had, right? And um, I really wanted to hold on to that. So at like 15, 16 kind of thing, you know, when she eventually found someone else, it made me feel like I was being say cast aside because abandoned. she was still there for me right. but it just felt like someone else was in her life now mm. yeah and it felt like i wasn't getting that support that i needed like it wasn't just us anymore mm. and i think i had a lot of resentment out of that that i sort of see and acknowledge and sort of am trying to cope with
1: now as well so would you identify as someone with daddy issues Sorry, I gotta ask Mm -hmm. the hard-hitting questions here. I don't know if it's daddy issues. I would say I have
3: mummy issues. Which is strange, right? Because I grew up with her, right? Mm. Daddy issues, I don't think it affected me very much. I think the only way my father has affected me was in a way where I am always ready for people to
2: leave me. Uh. That is daddy issues. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting because um, I think there could be a common misconception that Daddy issues or mommy issues stem from dad or mom not being around in our lives, mm-hmm. but it may not be true at all. It, we, people could have daddy or mommy issues who, when maybe their dads or moms were around in their lives and in their mm-hmm. face too much. So it's just, it's just a dynamic of the nature of interaction and what um, it causes us to feel and whether we had anyone to process those feelings with when we were kids, and if we didn't, we formed certain beliefs and perceptions that are just like unconscious and we don't realize they're there,
0: Mm.
2: right? Mm. Um, And I I think it's brilliant that Azura, you shared that you you knew as a kid that your mom was all you had and you had this really strong attachment to her. Did it feel like when he was no longer in your life, like it was just you and your mom against the world? Yes.
3: And it also felt like I had to step up because I saw her crumbling and I saw that she was trying to hide that from me. So I... stepped up and sort of like shut everything else aside. I didn't have time to sort of like deal with my feelings because I had to put up a strong front. I couldn't be the kid who was asking where he was because that would hurt her.
2: Mm. I couldn't be the kid who was, you know, throwing tantrums because she had more than enough to deal with. You know, sometimes when we end up being the kind of like adult in the relationship and we end up being there for our parent, it's almost like a child needing to feel security and I've seen cases where the child stepped up to be the one for their parent as a way to gain that sense of security that, hey, I'm going to be here for mom and mom needs me. And hence, I'm going to be secure. Because as children, children need security, love, food, protection, attention, and all these things. And they will find a way to be someone that can get this in a secure manner. And by being there for your mom and by feeling needed, that was your security blanket. And when suddenly someone showed up in her life and you're like, am I needed anymore? Mm. That just feels really, really scary. But has your
1: relationship
2: with her improved over the years?
1: Now I would
3: say it's a lot better. It Mm. took a lot. I think there was a period of time where I probably didn't speak to her for like a year, even though I was still living at home. Because of the new relationship uh, in her not life? Not really, but I think maybe it's a timing thing as well, right? Because um, having had to do that since I was a young child at six, and then when I transformed into my teenage years, I think it sort of came out. And then that was the same time that, you know, she found someone as well. And so it was it was rebellion. It was a lot of just finding myself, a lot of i don't know where to turn to mm. so those years for me i think were very very hard because of all that right it was happening at the same time and i think for a while as well especially when i was in my early 20s i felt like you know her love was very conditional where if i did things right she was there if i didn't she wasn't
0: but if there's one thing i can say now is i mean as friends i'm sure jumi and i both can see that as royal well, your mom still Of course she loves you a lot. Every time she goes overseas, the mother will be there at the airport to see her off hug her, (sighs) take photos, say goodbye. The entire village will come down basically. The whole family. The whole family and then me and Jeremy just standing by the side and take photo, take a (laughs) photo. I'm just kind of there's literally (laughs) a picture of me at the airport. Her and her whole family, I'm just (laughs) standing at the side (laughs) (laughs) with my luggage.
2: (laughs) Exactly. So this is the kind of support that I think your family has shown you. I'd like to share something that I discovered about how trauma works, right? Which is that when we have trauma, and trauma doesn't mean that you have had to have something very dramatic happen to you. It's just any adverse experience that happens to you that has not been processed and tended to emotionally. It creates a certain effect on us and what it creates also is a lens through which we see things. Whereas, you know, because of certain adverse experiences that you had with your mom, it created a lens and that lens could look something like, my mom doesn't care about me. Mm. Or like in my case, like my dad values not losing face more than me. Mm. And when we wear those lenses, it's like the sunglasses you have. You just go about life and seeing everything with that lens on. And it's so clear as day to everybody else and your friends how much your mom loves you, but you will always until you process that. (laughs) Mm. See your mom's love as with those tinted lenses. Mm. And that is how trauma happens. Like trauma makes us unable to see things objectively and see the fact in the present moment because we're still living in the memory of that past. I
1: think even
2: identifying the trauma that you've been through, a lot of
1: people don't realize as well because you're not in touch with yourself. You don't don't sit and just think to yourself, oh, Mm. that was trauma.
2: Mm. Well, and exactly like you said, Jermaine, when our parents were not emotionally available to us, um, they didn't role model to us what being in touch and connected with our emotions is like. And when we are not aware of our emotions, we will not be able to trace back to what was the experience we had that gave us those emotions. I think yeah, that's a very good point for a lot of Asian families like myself.
0: I would term my relationship with my parents bittersweet. Bitter because sometimes I look at other families, my friends, they have such good relationships with their parents. They go out shopping together. They dine out together every week. And this is something that I would really love for myself as well. But sweet because sometimes I look at other families and I see like their parents are abusing them verbally or physically. And I'm just so thankful that my parents are not like that. But trust me, my parents are the typical Asian, conservative kind of parents which who would always tell me Meimei, don't be wearing this kind of clothes. Like oh, this like, one okay, also? This cannot, one, like something like that. Oh, yeah. okay. too, showing too much skin. Oh. So that was when I was growing up. And I would always tell them, you know, I, I'm putting a jacket on, which I never did like, after I stepped out of the house, basically. But, you know, sometimes when I want to talk to them about certain things, even at this age, um, say, if I'm seeing someone new, I would ask my dad, you know, um, do you want to be introduced to this guy? And he would reply, we'll see how next time. And this makes me feel like, does he not care? And I feel like this this shuts me off from telling them other things that happens in my life next time, mm. be it relationship or
2: like otherwise. Can I offer you a perspective okay. on that? Because I had the same experience with my dad, because it's a bit of a review thing. I had a few boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> along the way. And uh, I, I felt exactly that, right? Like, how come? Dad doesn't want to meet these guys. And you know, one day, my dad said this to me. He said, you're always changing boyfriends. If I, he says to me. Yeah, if I meet this guy now, and he turns out not to be your husband, I would be doing your future husband a disservice. Ooh. And uh, it just blew my mind. I'm oh. like, what? So, somehow, something about their upbringing, or at least my dad's upbringing, or something in him, he valued being like, the only man in my mom's life. Mm. And I guess um, for him to give an, any acknowledgement to other guys in, the, in his daughter's life, um, he would feel like if he were the future husband, he would not like that or something, I don't know. Mm. So it's nothing to do with your dad not caring about you. It's just, maybe he has something, his own hangout, you could ask him. I am not going to ask him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not for now, at least. i send him the link to this. <laughs> <laughs> but well, what I do know is there are four types of parenting. Yes. Right, and um, namely being permissive, uh, authoritative, neglectful, and authoritarian. Yeah. So. I don't know what kind of parenting styles our parents or our listeners' parents adopt, but here's a brief introduction of what these styles are all about. Permissive, child-driven, rarely gives or enforces rules, and
1: over indulges child to avoid conflict. So someone that, you know, mm. just gives you whatever that you want. It's the complete opposite of authoritarian, mm-hmm. where you know it's super strict, it's all about rules, 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 and there is no communication. It's one-way communication. It's like I command you to do this. Mm. Something it's like my that. way or the highway. Yeah, mm. and neglectful. I think that one is a bit more you know serious, where they're absent mm. or they are uninvolved. They don't really provide you nurture or guidance that you need as a child to navigate this world. Yeah, and but the best one of all, right? I feel authoritative. like this is the best. Yeah. yeah,
0: solves problems together with the child, yeah. sets clear rules and expectations, and there's open communication between parent and child. Mm. I feel like this is the way to go. But of course, a successful parent would know when to adopt which kind of like mm. parenting style yeah. under different circumstances. So, are there some stories you can share with us from some of your coaches or like your students who have had
2: um, maybe issues stemming from different parenting styles? Well, um, there is someone who grew up, you know, seeking to be very perfect.
1: Mm.
2: I guess as a child, she would get caned or punished Mm. uh, whenever she didn't do uh, in a certain manner well in in her studies. And she felt like the way to win her mother's approval is to constantly be the best or to have a really good performance in school, really good performance at work. I don't know whether you work with people who are perfectionists, and sometimes they can stress themselves out a lot and maybe stress out their colleagues as well. Mm -hmm. So some of these ways that, or the dynamics of how we've interacted with our parents to try to meet the the expectations or to win the approval of our parents creates a certain uh, persona or coping mechanism in us that we carry through that may not serve us at some point. And the interesting thing is the same thing, the same coping mechanism also managed to get us quite far.
1: Mm. Like you can
2: imagine a child trying to be perfect, trying to really do really well in life, right? But they're constantly also under um, stress and anxiety from what if I'm not Mm. that good anymore. And that sense of the self-worth resting on performance and competency at the job or the task and all that can be very debilitating for people. I think it's interesting that
1: you bring up you know caning as punishment because mm. it happens to you know most of us. I don't know if you guys got caned when you were young. I certainly did. Uh, when I was naughty, yeah. Yeah, or when yeah. When my siblings were naughty, then so, I get caned also. When I become a parent, right? I I'm off. I've spoken to my partner about this. I will never hit my child. I'll never slap my child. I will never because I think it normalizes in them that it's okay to accept abuse from an authoritative figure Mm. and that could manifest in different ways in their lives but i want to know like what you guys think definitely no physical abuse for me Mm. but that was because my parents didn't do it
0: very often to me either Mm. like they didn't hit us if i didn't perform well in school maybe sometimes if I got really naughty, then they would take out the cane and like, just whip it in front of me just to scare me. Oh, like. just like this. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes we will, will really cane me. I remember yeah. one time I cried super badly, but it's not often. And I felt that mm. looking back, well, maybe it was right of them to induce some fear in me. So I would not repeat this mistake
2: next time. I don't know. Mm. You know, it's interesting because um, a whole generation of parents like, Got caned by the parents, right. and then they caned their children, True. right? Yes. And I guess the, the probably a, maybe a more balanced way to look at it is, when a punishment is dealt out to a child, it needs to be debriefed after, and yes. the punishment needs to be uh, meted out in a very controlled manner, where the child doesn't feel like, hey, the parent has lost it, or is caning me out of anger, anger, mm. and losing control of his. Uh, or his or her own emotions, mm. because that makes a child like really really frightened. Yeah. Because a child depends on the parents to create order and control in the world to make their world safe and certain. And when they see or experience the parents going out of control, it really messes them up. Mm. So if it's a punishment that is meant to inflict a little bit of you know pain so they remember the the mistake, it has to be dealt with a lot of love and explanation after so that the emotional um, the emotions of the child is held and processed mm. properly and they're not made to feel like I'm so frightened because you just lost it. Yeah. How can yeah. I trust you to bring me up in this world? Well, I mean and this thought is not conscious in the child's mind, but it's unconsciously just running in the background in their psyche. Right. Mm.
1: This is where like I argue with my partner a lot because when he was growing up, he's he belongs to authoritative perfect parents mm. like so his parents would say okay you did this wrong you know you shouldn't have done it that way this is why i'm giving you this punishment hit one time that's it he understands mm. that's why he thinks it's okay mm. but to me i was never treated like that you know i was hit till the hanger broke like stuff and, really? yeah, yeah 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 then got to cry my dad would drag me to my mom say you must go ask mommy put zembak for you i'm like no she just hit me why do i go to her you know things like that so to me i have a very averse reaction to Mm. that kind of punishment but i see where he comes from he came from a different kind of parenting style Mm. on this note let's look at this example from a bbc article
0: Mm. um, where this lady shared how her strict asian parents made her awkward and lonely so she grew up in a very strict household and with overprotective parents if she was not home by her curfew time, which is 9 p.m., her parents would threaten to call the police. Oh, we're all dead eh? It's crazy, yeah, my goodness. Mm-hmm. So once she was at a work event and she didn't make it home on time because 9 p.m. is a bit early, right? Her parents were like hounding her, texting her and all that. And her mom called her repeatedly. And when she finally picked up the phone, when she like found a gap in between work to pick up the phone, the mother was, wow, hysterical, screaming at her over the phone. Mm. And she felt like this made her really, really awkward and lonely. Mm. If you were in this situation, what would you girls have done? Wow.
2: But she's already working. She's an adult. The (laughs) mum has stuff the mum hasn't processed and Mm. it's just being, you know, uh, surfacing and being projected to people around her and it's really unfortunate. Mm. I think it's really unfortunate, which goes back to my earlier point about how it's so important that we all take personal ownership, mm-hmm. of our own healing so that we don't end up having our baggage um, translate translate or spill over to the people in our lives. And I think a mom must be must have really suffered something mm. for her to have this extent of, um, if mm-hmm. I may yes. say, insecurity. But it's so hard, right? Because you can only take charge of your own
3: feelings, your own baggage, your own healing, yep. but you can't make someone else do
0: it, you know? So,
2: (laughs) (laughs) actually,
0: this happened to me. My father did the same thing to me. I was 14 years old and at 11 p.m. I was out at some random McDonald's, eating nuggets (laughs) and fries with my friend. And my dad got so angry that I was not home by 11. He kept calling me Mm. and I said I was out with my female friend. Mm. And he said, is it you pass the phone to your female friend? I must listen to her voice before I believe you. And that made me very embarrassed. But okay, I did it. I passed the phone to he, to her. She said, hi, uncle, and all of that. And after I went home, I actually sat my father down. And I told him that, dad, what you did made me super, super paise or embarrassed. Mm. Can you please trust me and not do this the next time? And that was the last time he ever did it, you know. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Did it yeah.
2: yeah. You know, this really answers, actually answers your question, Azura. Like, you're perfectly right when we can only... Be aware and take charge of our own emotions. And sometimes, what we really need to do is to just honor our feelings and communicate them gently to the other person. And most of the time, you'll be surprised; like people would understand. I mean, how they choose to respond is theirs, but we can do our part by just being aware of how we feel and mm. stating our stand and letting people know how we feel. Mm. Most of the time, people are just unaware that they're hurting someone. Yeah, mm. it's true. I think over the years,
1: all of our relationships with our parents has changed. And as we grow up and we learn how to communicate as well, like communicating gently is the key word. Right. You have to be, you have to know how to phrase it and, you know, say it in a nice way, right, for them to
2: understand. And it's, I find that is an ongoing work because you know what, um, recently I got to know about this term called gaslighting
0: mm. <laughs> it's
2: a very new yeah, age term. i was just really mulling over this and trying to reflect like what is gaslighting and i realized that for those of us who has been gaslighted while we were growing up all the way we had no idea that this is gaslighting and eh? we have no idea that this is it was just what we went through in our chahula then it seemed normal My parents didn't know they were doing anything because probably they were being gaslighted by their own parents growing up too. How were you gaslighted by your parents? If I understand gaslighting correctly, it means um, to say something that invalidates what somebody else is feeling. Mm -hmm. And you know what? When we were growing up, there were so many micro moments. Like, so for example, the other day I was at Gardens by the Bay and I saw this grandma feeding a little girl um, some McDonald's fries and the girl stopped eating right she was like holding a fry and then she stopped eating and then the grandma was asking her hey how come you're not eating and then the girl said hot and then the grandma said no la not hot lah." and then started pushing the fries in the (laughs) kids face right and i realized in that moment that this is invalidation in its most subtle moment like a child is told that what she feels obviously is real which is (laughs) the fry is very hot for my tongue which is not uh, Same kind of tongue like grandma has, because grandma's well-worn with years, right, and very tough and all that. But we're being told that, no, you're wrong. And that makes us just doubt ourselves. Like, Mm. because what we're feeling is not correct. Mm. But let's take a look at the
1: flip side, right? I don't know if you have any coaches who... I don't know if you have any coaches that would come to you
2: who have benefited from gentle parenting.
1: Or is gentle parenting always a good
2: thing? Wow, my coaches are... I think I grew up in that era where this term was <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> not a thing. Yeah. But most of the time, the coaches don't come to me because they say, you know, oh, I, have, I have issues with my parents. No. Oh. They are looking at, hey, I want to be better at my job. Ah. Uh, you know, hey, I want to make a career switch and I, I feel very fearful. I don't have the courage to do it. And it's really through inquiring deep down into what are some of the beliefs that are holding them back in this moment that we unravel, like how those beliefs got there in the first place and eventually you trace it down to it was some childhood experience.
3: Right. Because it's funny um, because I see it coming out now, right, in different forms, especially when it comes to being doubtful, even when I know that, you know, this is right. Or you know, even if you give me ten people who tells me that you know this is this and this is this, but I would always question myself again and say, oh, but maybe I did this to contribute to it. Oh, but maybe you know I didn't do enough. And because of that, um, and because I'm always second guessing that way, I find it very hard to you know make steps or make moves to sort of like change things because I will always feel like I had my faults too, and hence I am not qualified or you know.
2: It's not my place to do something about it. That's such a common thing mm. that we, you know, inadvertently, when we doubt ourselves, we end up holding ourselves back.
1: But a lot of females that I know feel like imposter syndrome. That's what, that's what mm. I've seen. Where they feel like, even though they're in a position of power, they feel they don't deserve it mm. or to a certain extent. And I think that also stems from, you know, in their childhood, what they were being put through. Yeah, so that that does still manifest in these There's days. some lenses yeah. that they're still carrying mm, yeah. with them. Precisely. That makes them
0: feel that way. Yeah. Alright. To wrap up this episode, what do you think is important to maintain a good relationship for parents?
2: What I've seen work out really well for myself is to start seeing them as human beings. Like yes. they're individuals with their own lives and they happen to be your parents. And that's a really important step because then we stop expecting them to be a certain way that we Mm. want our parents to be and to really see them as fellow human beings and have empathy for what were their experiences that Mm. made them behave and have beliefs in this manner and have these values. Um, And that really really helped me. I think the moment when I realized that my mom is a woman in her own right Mm. was when I was, I don't know, like 31. Mm. (laughs) Okay, so I still have time. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good that you realize it sooner. And I think to take that lens and, and, and see that, mm. you know, we have the ability and the power to, to lead with empathy in our own relationships at home. For sure. And our parents didn't have the opportunity to have all these talks or be exposed to these things that gave them an opportunity to have self awareness. But if we're more aware than them, then we can always be the one to, to, to lead that conversation with empathy. Which
0: leads to my point. I feel like open communication is very important. Mm. Maybe our parents are not so open in this aspect, but then it's maybe up to us as children to sit them down and have a talk with them, knowing how they function, how they communicate. Maybe we can angle the conversation in that way that would strike the right chord with them. I think Mm. that's very, very crucial.
3: I think sometimes because, you know, growing up, you feel like they are your moral compass, right? That, you know, that is what you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. that is the person that is sort of guiding you in this world. You sort of like have over expectations for them. But I think it's also important to remember that, you know, they were parents for the first time as well, and they weren't given a manual. You know, there's no guide for them on how to be parents. But, you know, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be like difficulties or, you know, misunderstandings.
2: but yeah, I think it's, you know, seeing that as well. I found that the best way to improve the relationship we have with my parents, or at least what I've been doing, is to accept them. Mm. Mm. it's true.
0: And easier that, said than done. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. sounds very simple. Yeah. It's, a it's a journey. It's so hard to yeah. And there's execute.
1: no saying we're going to be perfect parents. I think, yeah, yeah. The, yeah I'm sorry to our future kids. Oh, <laughs> <know>. We'll try. <laughs> we have trauma. <tried>. <laughs> but I, I like to take the extreme side where if you are in a dangerous situation at home, you're in a very, very volatile, violent situation, mm. just because they are your family doesn't mean that you internalise that and treat it as okay. I think sometimes you got to create the family that you deserve outside of your blood family.
2: Mm. Yeah. You know, that brings to mind, Jermaine, how sometimes I, I have um, residents who come to me and they may write me an email or, or come to me and say that they don't know how to help their friend who is in an abusive relationship mm. or in an abusive household. I think it's important to recognise that when someone has grown up with violence all their lives, they don't necessarily see it as danger, danger or wrong. That's just what's normal for them and mm-hmm. and for and someone else who is looking at the situation to say, hey, you know, you need to step away from that and get yourself to safety. It's a very big chasm they have to cross because what they knew to be the family was safety
0: mm.
2: and violence was part of that familiarity that they had. So it's really, really important that we give space um, and we help them to, to feel that there is another safe space that they can go to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, with that, thank you so much, Carrie. I think we've benefited so much from this episode alone. Thank you. And you know what? I think Harsh Clarity is a safe space as well. If you have any thoughts on your mind at all, feel free to always drop us a DM
1: on Instagram at itsclarity.co. That's right. And of course, uh, make sure that you follow us on Me listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts to know when the next episode drops. You know, you can
3: leave a comment, subscribe to us, turn on the notifications. Yeah, let us know what you want to see more of.
0: Thank you so much once again for listening. I'm Hazel. I'm Azura. I'm Jemaine. And I'm Carrie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Podcast. <sighs> hey, she did it. <laughs> <Yay.
1: laughs> <laughs> Till next time. Bye. Bye.